Thank you for taking the time to listen to this sermon from Seekers Christian Fellowship. We believe that God's Word completes the believer, making them fully equipped men and women of God, ready for every good work. It is our prayer that through this message, you're challenged by the Word of God, built up in love for God and one another, conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. Well, good morning, church. Good morning. I'm so glad to be able to share God's Word with you um, this day. So if you haven't already, please, um, I encourage you, grab your Bibles. Those of you at home, grab your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7 and verse 36. You're going to need your Bible to follow along um, this morning. If you uh, lack love for God... If you're honest and, and you just don't feel love for him in your heart, if that's you, I want you to consider the following. Have you really experienced the forgiveness of God? The forgiveness of God. Have you? Have you? For this is the main point I want to share with you uh, this morning from today's text, this is it. The forgiveness of God is what leads to love for God. Okay, if you remember nothing else, remember this. The forgiveness of God is what fuels or what leads to love for God. Church, this is a message I, um, I needed uh, in the weeks coming up to today as I studied and I just pray, these are the words of Christ that we're going to look at. These are the very words of Christ, and I pray that this passage teaches and transforms you as it has been uh, to me. So with that introduction, just join me as we pray, and let's just dive in. Father, um, yes, we come to you just as we are, sinful, broken, and God, if any of us lacks love for you today. God, I pray that you would help us to examine ourselves and see, have we really experienced your forgiveness? Because if we have not, oh Lord, this is my prayer, if anyone has not experienced the forgiveness of God in Christ, I pray this morning that as we look at this text, you would grant forgiveness to them this day, this day. And for any who have experienced but lack love, oh God, I pray that you would, you would remind us, you would bring us back to this great debt that you have forgiven so that we might love you as we ought to. Let your spirit speak to us through this passage. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. So allow me to uh, provide some context, okay, just before we begin. Jesus had been traveling across the region of Galilee, and after um, teaching at the local synagogue, it was customary for rabbis or teachers to be invited for a meal. And so this is what we see happening in verse 36, that one of the Pharisees, a man by the name of Simon, 
invites Jesus to come to his home and eat with him. Now, at first, this sounds actually um, rather nice, doesn't it? But we must remember who the Pharisees were. The Pharisees were a group of religious leaders who were strongly opposed to Jesus. If you look just a few verses earlier in Luke 6 and verse 7, just take a look at that, chapter 6 and verse 7, they were watching Jesus. They were watching Him closely for why? For a reason to accuse Him. So, so, so that, that was their mindset, and so we have to keep that context in mind when we're reading this passage. Now, to set the scene, um, at a meal like this, this meal that we're about to read about, um, the food was served on a low central table. Okay, I just want you to picture this. There's a low central table, and there's couches set up all around this central table. And so the guests would sit leaning or reclining towards the table in the center with their feet directed outwards. Does that make sense? Kind of like the spikes on a, on a hub. So their feet were far from the food. And if you can imagine first century Israel, the feet, your feet were an especially unclean part of your body, right? If you, if you think about um, walking miles every day in sandals, your feet would collect mud and dust and dirt, um, and these are the last things you want. Uh, close to your food. So it was, for this reason, it was customary for the, for the host to have his lowest servant, his, his lowest slave, to wash the feet of the guests, okay, just b- before, they, before they ate. That was the custom. This is all important background before we dive in. And just, just one last thing before we, before we get to the text. Today, when you invite um, a guest to your home, when you invite someone to your home for a meal and they, and they come in the door, likely the first thing you do is you go and close the door, the front door. Why? Because you want to allow for some uh, privacy, right? But interestingly, in, in the Pharisees' home, these meals were actually a kind of uh, event, it, it was like entertainment for the, the town. So this means the doors of his home would have been wide open so that people could gather as spectators and come in so close that they could actually listen in on the conversation. Okay? So, so it is within that crowd, that crowd around the meal, verse 37, look at verse 37, Luke writes, And behold, which means look, look, a woman of the city who was a sinner. A sinner. So entering our scene now, if you keep that scene in your mind, entering the scene is this unnamed woman. Luke simply calls her a sinner. Now, now you're probably wondering, why would Luke have to specify this, right? I mean, the, the Bible tells us all have sinned, right? We're all sinners in the sight of God. So why would he be stating the obvious? 
And the answer is actually this word that Luke is using here, it means she was devoted to sin. She was, devo- she was especially wicked. This immoral woman was not just known as a sinner before God, as, as we all are. She was known as a sinner in the eyes of society. She was a prostitute who made her living by defiling her body with multiple partners on a regular basis so that the whole town knew who she was, a sinner. And yet, as you read this verse, verse 37, you get the sense that there's more to this woman, don't you? You get the sense, because Luke is telling us what? That when she learned that Jesus was at Simon's house, what does she do? She brings an alabaster flask full of ointment. I wish I had an alabaster flask to, to show you, kind of make it more visual, but I don't even know where to find. The, alabaster was a kind of fine marble stone. It was very, very valuable. And, and ointment actually means a very costly perfume. So it begs the question, why is this woman gathering her most expensive possessions and coming to Jesus, and not just coming to Jesus, she's coming to the house of a Pharisee where surely she would not be welcome, right? Think about it. Among all these dignitaries and honored guests, I just, I want you to see the courage it would have taken for a woman of her reputation to even come to a place like this, the courage. And standing behind Jesus, verse 38, at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. So remember the scene, okay? So Jesus is reclining towards this central table, right? His feet are, are directed towards the outer parts of the room. It's an open space. So you have all these people standing around uh, observing the meal. And this woman stands in the shadows directly behind Jesus, so close to his feet that when tears begin to flow, they land on his feet. Tears begin to flow. For some reason, this woman is suddenly overwhelmed with emotion. And we have to be honest, at this point in the, in the narrative, it's hard to say exactly why she's crying. It's hard to say. Could, could these be tears of Sadness, repentance over her way of life, perhaps? Or, or do, do these tears represent something more? We don't know yet. But either way, as the woman looks down, as her tears are raining on the feet of Jesus, lo and behold, what does she realize? What does she realize? His feet had not been washed. It's a blatant insult from 
the host Simon to Jesus, his guest, his feet had not been washed. And so, without delay, this woman falls to her knees. Remember, she was standing. Now her posture changes. She falls to her knees. She unties her hair. And without concern, because everyone is watching, without concern for what people might think, she takes the position of the lowest servant, the lowest slave, and she begins to wipe the feet of Jesus. If this sounds familiar, it's because you've, you've read a similar incident later where Jesus himself would do this very thing for his own disciples, didn't he? Washing their feet to show them what? To show them what love really looks like. Love. Then the woman begins to kiss the feet of Jesus, look at verse 38, before opening that alabaster flask and pouring the expensive ointment on his feet. And so now you have to picture this, the perfume is filling the room. It's filling the room. Now, I want you to realize, church, um, for Simon, okay, just put yourself in the shoes of Simon for a moment, for Simon and the elite at the table, this was very uncomfortable to witness. Can, can, can you see that? This is, this is very awkward. The Pharisees would have no such contact with such a sinful woman. This was awkward for them. This is the town prostitute, and here is Jesus. He's not pushing her away. He's not casting her aside. He's not even rebuking her for this disgusting uh, public display of, of affection. So this was just plain offensive to Simon, the host. So see what happens, verse 39. So when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him. He would have known. For she's a sinner. This was Simon's thought. This was his thought, okay? And by a person's thoughts, you can usually tell what's in their uh, heart, can't you? Simon did not believe in Jesus. He didn't believe. He didn't have faith. In fact, the reason he had brought Jesus to his home was with an ulterior motive. What was it? To prove that Jesus was a fraud. That's why he brought him. And now Simon thinks, I got him, right? I got him. Because if Jesus were a prophet, just think about his logic. It's, 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 it's good. If Jesus were a prophet from God, surely he would know that this woman was a sinner. He would know. He would know that her hands are unclean. And so the fact that he doesn't seem to know what everyone in the town knows about her proves that he must not be a prophet from God. So this is who Simon was. I just want to pause here and just let you absorb just who Simon was. Okay, he lacked faith in Jesus. He was judgmental. He was self-righteous. 
The way he views this woman is as though she is beneath him. The way he views himself is as though he is better or more worthy than anyone else. This is who he was. Verse 40. And Jesus, now catch this. It's it's very subtle. Catch it. Verse 40. And Jesus, answering, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Church, did you catch it? Did you catch it? So, what just happened? Jesus just responded out loud to a thought that Simon had in silence, in his mind. Look at verse 39. Luke says, Simon said to himself, meaning no one else would have heard this. But in verse 40, what does Luke say? Jesus answers him. (laughs) How's that for a prophet? Jesus is showing Simon that he is more than just a prophet from God, for Jesus knew his thoughts. Jesus knew his very thoughts. And so he says, Simon, I have something to say to you. And if you have a self-righteous or self-sufficient attitude, if you cast judgment on others for their sin while thinking that you are better or you are more worthy somehow, Jesus says to us today, I have something to say to you. I have something to say. And so here lies the, the heart of his teaching this morning on forgiveness. Look at verse 41, 41 and 42. A certain money lender had two debtors, okay? One owed uh, 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which one of them will love him more? That's the parable, okay? So a money lender is a creditor, okay, a banker, someone who can loan uh, money to those who need it. And in this parable, Jesus tells us of two debtors. There's two. The first person has borrowed 500 denarii. A denarii is a, a single day's wage, okay, all the money you would make for one day. So 500 denarii means we're talking about almost two years of income. That's his That's how much he owes. That's his debt. And the second person also has a debt, but his loan was only 50 denarii, which is about two months' worth of income. Still, it's a debt, but not nearly as much as the the first, okay? And though these two individuals differed, on the amount of their debt, I want you to catch something. There was one thing they had in common. What was it? Look at verse 42. What was it? They both could not pay. Yes, one had 500, one had 50, but the, but the, but the common between them was they both just could not pay. It wasn't because they needed more time. You know, so, oh, I just, if I just had a little bit more time, I could pay. No, it wasn't a matter of time. It wasn't a matter of resources. These two debtors were entirely incapable of paying what they owed. 
So I want to ask you a question, okay? Because we may be tempted to think this way. I want to I ask you a question. If you were the person with only 50 debt, could you take comfort in the fact that you had less debt than the person with 500? Could you really? No. You know why? Because having less debt did not in any way change the reality that you too need forgiveness. Do you see that? Church, how foolish we can be when we compare ourselves to one another. Don't we do that? Don't we do that? A bunch of sinners quarreling over who has the least amount of sin when the truth is none of us has any hope of paying what we owe unless we are forgiven. Unless we are forgiven. And this is what the gracious moneylender does. Verse 42, he canceled the debt of both. He forgives their debt. Now, um, as my dad might say, you shouldn't forget your math. You shouldn't forget your mathematics here. Anyone who's ever paid bills, if you've paid bills, you know that debts don't just vanish. I wish they would, but they don't just vanish off the books. The only way a debt can be canceled from your account is if someone else is willing to pay it. That's the only way. So, so for this moneylender, just stay with me, for the, for the moneylender to forgive 500 plus 50, 550 denarii of debt, he would have to do what? Take on that debt himself. Church, I hope you see what, what Jesus is saying. Jesus knew that God could not just sweep your sins, my sins, under a rug. He couldn't do it. To forgive you your sin, to cancel your debt, he had to do what? He had to first pay that debt himself. That's the only way. And Jesus knew what this meant. It meant your debt was going to be nailed to a cross where Jesus was going to hang and die, his life taken so that yours could be spared. This is the forgiveness of God, church. Just think about that for a moment. This is what forgiveness is. And in light of this forgiveness, Jesus now poses the question to Simon, okay? He says, which of the two will love the merciful forgiver more? Okay, look at verse 43. Look at his answer. Simon says, Simon says, the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That makes sense. Right? That makes sense. And Jesus says, you're right. The person who was forgiven more will love more. Um, 
you don't love the person at the drive-thru who, who forgives you a nickel off of your coffee order. You don't love that person as much as you love the person who's willing to write a check and pay off every debt you've ever owed, right? Of course, the larger the debt you've been forgiven, the greater your love will be. And so now, verse 44, turning towards the woman, Jesus says to Simon, do you see this woman? Do you? Of course, Simon, Simon saw her, but Jesus asked, no, 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 do you really see this woman? Do you get it? Do you understand what her expression of love actually means? Do you get it now? For when I entered your house, I entered your house, Simon, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she, she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Can you see the contrast? Okay, these next couple of verses, Jesus is just bringing the parable to bear on Simon and this woman. See the contrast. The Pharisee, he neglected the, to extend the most basic courtesy that a host should give a guest. He treated Jesus as an unworthy guest in his own home because his, his self-righteousness blinded him from seeing who Jesus really was. But the woman, see her love in tears of gratitude, willing to humble herself to the place of the lowest slave. Why? Because she knew how desperately she needed the forgiveness of God. She knew. You gave me no kiss. The contrast now continues. Verse 45. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You know, a kiss was a customary greeting in those days for a guest. A host um, would welcome their guests with a kiss. It was a sign of hospitality. It was a sign of respect. But Simon did no such thing. Why? For there was no love in his heart for Jesus. But this woman, her love overflowed so much so that she could not even stop kissing his feet. She couldn't stop from the time he came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, verse 46, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. This is yet another way that Simon was supposed to bless his guests, um, anointing their heads with olive oil. Do you remember um, Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd, right? In verse 5, it says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Jesus is saying that, Simon, you were not willing to spare even cheap olive oil to bless the head of Christ while this woman poured expensive ointment on his feet, for there was no cost too great for her to express her love. There was no cost that was too great. So the question is why? Why, church? Why did she love Jesus so much? And here's the point. Verse 47, take a look. Jesus tells us, her sins 
which are many, are forgiven. This is why. This is why she loved much. And I need you to stay with me because this is where it can get confusing. It's very important that you not miss this. The woman was not forgiven because of her love. Okay? That doesn't make sense, right? She didn't earn forgiveness by crying and wiping and pouring ointment. That's not how you earn, that's not, that's not how forgiveness comes, right? No, these acts of love were not the cause of her forgiveness. They were the result of her forgiveness. I want to say that again. Her acts of love were not the cause of her forgiveness. They were the result of it. Uh, the, the NASB translation here is very helpful. It, it says in verse 47, it says, Her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. Past tense. Have been forgiven. This is what the parable taught. This is what Jesus is saying. When do the debtors, think about this, when do the debtors love the moneylender? When do they, do they love him before he forgives them? No. They loved him after he forgave them. So what does this mean? Um, you know when you, I know there are some movie lovers out there. <laughs> you know when you, when you learn a plot twist at the end of a movie? Like a huge plot twist. And, it, and it's so big that you need to go back and, and re-watch earlier sections to understand what was really happening. That's what we're, we're discovering here. That way back in verse 37, when we first learned that this woman um, found out about Jesus' whereabouts and brought her alabaster flask, we are now learning that she was not coming to seek forgiveness, she was coming because she had been forgiven. Because. Perhaps she had heard Jesus teach in the synagogue earlier, and that's when she repented of her sins. Luke doesn't tell us. But what we do know is that what she did to Jesus at Simon's house, her acts of love were a result of being forgiven, a result. And so Jesus says to Simon, Simon, I know who this woman is. You think I don't know. I know who she is. And Simon, I know the great multitude of her sins. I know. But what you don't know, Simon, is that she has been forgiven by God. And this is what leads to her love for me. That's what you don't understand. She has been forgiven and that's why she loves me. Because friends, when you experience the forgiveness of God, the true forgiveness of God, this is the love that should follow. This is what follows. The tears begin to flow. Your knees bend. Your concern for what people think just dissipates. Who cares? Your pride gives way to humility and you cannot help but continue to kiss again and again the feet of your Savior while all those possessions, you know, all your possessions that you used to prize and the ones that you held so tightly to, suddenly they don't mean anything as you pour them out to the one who forgave you a debt which you could never, ever, ever repay. But there is another side to the coin. 
Look at verse 47. There is another side to this coin. Jesus says, but he who is forgiven little loves little. That's, that's the other side. Okay? This, this is Simon. He's speaking about Simon. This, this is the Pharisee. And church, I have to be honest. How often do you and I find ourselves more like the Pharisee and less like the woman? More like the Pharisee and less like the woman. How often are we self-righteous? That's my question. God, I thank you that I'm not as bad as so-and-so. I thank you that I'm not like this tax collector. I thank you that I'm not like this prostitute. Have you done that? Do, do, you, do you cast judgment on those who, who sin in greater and more public ways than you? Do we do that without recognizing the sin in our own heart, the sin of self-righteousness, of self-sufficiency, of, of, of a self-reliance that thinks, I don't, do I even need Jesus? Like, my debt is only 50. It's only 50 denarii. Do I even need him? I could probably pay this myself. Why should I shed tears? Who, what has Jesus really done for me? Am I so desperate that I need to bend my knees and wipe and kiss his feet? I haven't sinned as much to give up a, an alabaster flask. That's self-righteousness. And if this is you today, Jesus is saying, remember the parable. Remember the point that I said, no matter how little you think your debt may be, right? You may think today, my debt's not that bad, but no matter how little you think your debt may be or how much better you think you compare to other people, the truth is you and I, none of us can pay what we owe to God. None of us. None of us, because the wages of sin is what? It's death. It's your whole life. That's the cost. Apart from the gracious forgiveness and the gracious mercy of God, this is your fate. This is our fate. And so Jesus says, look at verse 48. He says to her, he says to the woman, your sins have been forgiven. They've been forgiven. And I just want you to step into her shoes for a moment. Can you imagine, um, just, just, just try, to, try to step into her shoes. Imagine the assurance that these words would have had in her life. What it, what, the assurance it would have brought her. This is a woman who was despised, right? This is a woman who was rejected by all of society, and yet here is the Son of God confirming to her, your sins have been forgiven. What a comfort that would have been to this woman. And in these last two verses, verse 49, let's, let's read this, take a look at this verse with me. Then those who were at the table, remember we're still in the context of this meal, those who were at the table with Jesus, they're overhearing all of this and they say to themselves, they begin to say among themselves, who is this? Who is this? who even forgives sins. But he said to the woman, verse 50, your, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So church, 
as we conclude, Luke poses this question. Okay, this is the question. He says, who, he writes, who is this? Who is this Jesus? Jesus was more than just a prophet. We've seen that. He's more than just a prophet because he did things which only God had the authority to do, which is what? Forgive sins. Only God has the authority to forgive sins. And here is Jesus claiming that authority for himself. Your sins are forgiven. And so the whole room is stirred by these words. The whole room is stirred. But see Jesus, his attention is fixed on the woman. And in his final words, this is what he tells her. And this is what he tells us today. It's for us as well. He tells the woman how she obtained forgiveness. How? Like, how? Because we looked at it earlier. It wasn't because of her love, right? We covered that. As lavish as her love was, it wasn't her love that caused her forgiveness, right? Her forgiveness, the love was a result of her forgiveness. So, so how then was she forgiven? Jesus tells us here, he says, it was by what? Faith. It was by faith. Faith is repenting of the sin in your life, repenting of your debt of sin. Faith is believing and trusting in Christ. And by doing that, that is what she did. And when she did that, her debt was forgiven. Her debt was canceled. It was nailed to the cross, God himself paying what she owed. God himself paying the price. So here's how I want to close. Whatever your past may be, maybe you don't have the, the life of the 500 debt. Maybe, maybe you think you're more in the 50 zone, or maybe you're somewhere in between, I don't know. But whatever your past may be, Jesus says, God can forgive you by faith. He can forgive you. And when He does, when He forgives you, and when you grasp, for those of you who, are, who have been believers for many years, when you remember or when you grasp the gravity of forgiveness, like just how big a deal this is, that your debt has been forgiven and you now have eternal life instead of eternal debt, when you get that, your heart will not help but be full of love, of love for God. That's why I said when I started, if you lack love, the question is, have you really experienced the forgiveness of God? Because love is the result of being forgiven. And you too, as, as the last, last three words he says to the woman, you too can go in peace. Peace. That's what she had as she left. Peace with God. Reconcile to Him forever. This is the incredible forgiveness of God. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank You for this encounter between Jesus, Simon, and the woman. Oh Lord, um, we may be in one of two camps this morning. Maybe we look at our life and we think, 
see the sins upon sins upon sins that I've committed. How can, how can this debt be paid? And to, and to those who are in that camp, Lord, we see here that none of us can pay our sins except by your forgiveness, except by Christ taking our debt upon himself so that we can be spared. Oh, Lord, if, if there's anyone out there, even in the watching from home, who has not known your forgiveness, I pray that you would grant them that this, this morning by faith in Christ, that they would experience the forgiveness. And Lord, there may be a second camp as well, Father, those of us who have become like Simon. Maybe we, we have faith, but, but we have become very self-righteous, self-reliant, looking at other people like, they're, like we're better than them. Help us to remember this parable that the person with 50 could take no comfort that he had less debt than the person with 500 because the same dilemma faced all, that none of us can afford, none of us have any ability to pay our debt. The wages of that sin is death. So Lord, in light of this, help us to remember the great debt that you've paid for us so that it would fuel love in our hearts love for you. And we can remember the peace that you've purchased for us, that we can go in peace, peace with you forever. Thank you, God. Let your word plant deeply in every heart and do its work. Um, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.